The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hands and Minded. It's me, Patrick Bexel, and I'm joined by two very esteemed guests. It's uh, Matt Drake from Eyes on the Prize. It's your first time on the pod, Matt, isn't it? It is. Happy to be here. And we're really happy to have you. Uh, I just told Jason Paul that, who is the next guest, obviously, uh, a returning guest, but uh, just told me that, told him that five years ago, you were one of the first guys to... Uh, congratulate me on signing up for eyes on the prize so um we've been on and off for, for a few years yeah i mean um i don't think before you we had anybody that was covering europe as well as you do so i mean kudos to you man uh european coverage has been miles better with you around i remember we had our first discussion about ulison or jacob larson i think that, that that's when it started really yes that's a long time ago and neither of them has really made an impact on the nhl level <laughs> As I mentioned, Jason Paul is here. Uh, Jason Wave Intel on on Twitter, uh, always posting the good graphs and the easy accessible stats. Thank you for joining us, Jason. My pleasure to be back on. It's we really have to do this fast because it's uh, approaching 10 p.m. in in Sweden, and uh, you guys are still at work. I think uh, even if you're working from home. Uh, but um, last night's game against uh, a comeback win. Uh, something I didn't think was possible when I fell asleep in the second intermission uh, and missed all the good bits. But um, what are you guys' takes on the on the game? Yeah, I'm happy to start. Um, I mean, it kind of epitomizes uh, Dom Ducharme's term so far, in my opinion, because that game, I thought they had a good first period. And then as time was going on, I was thinking, oh, this is the exact kind of game that they're going to lose, right? And then obviously they came back and won. But um, since Ducharme has been in, I did this little chart showing the difference between him and uh, Julian, statistically wise. And it's not as if he's hitting a massive home run difference on Julian, except for obviously on the power play. And I guess it's this, uh, you know, je ne sais quoi, kind of maybe a bit of a swagger, a bit of a change in the system. So they're a bit more creative. It's something that hopefully they, they can build on with this, uh, you know, this win. That's two in a row in overtime, right? Indeed it is. Yeah, I agree, particularly as it comes to, um, you know, the fact that it really felt like they were going to lose that game because of how well they played the first period and then giving up that last minute goal. That's been the narrative of this team for the last couple of years. They seem to just give up that one nasty goal at the end of periods that just breaks their back. Um, I like the battle back in the third period. It was a very good period from them. And honestly, for me, what really stuck out was that new line they got going with Dunway and uh, Stahl and Toffoli on the same line, their ability to just shut down the breakout. And honestly, it, it, it was like every single time the Oilers tried to break out against them, they were doing something to break that up and get it going back the other way. So, I mean, given the injury to Gallagher now, I think that line could become a focal point for them. I think it was a brilliant move by Desham to to put that together. And, 
you know, great game out of them. I honestly loved it. It really, it was an important win because you really opened up that gap towards Calgary um, further down the rankings and, and separating ourselves from for, for the playoffs really. And now it seems like it's a four-team run into the playoffs and everything is going to be about the seeds. Uh, but it was a little bit of a purist uh, victory. Um, it cost them injuries to obviously to, to Gallagher that left in the first intermission. And during the second period, I think it was um, Kerry Price slid awkwardly and got, got a stick between mm -hmm. his legs as well. He fought it out and he, and he kept the, the uh, halves in the game for quite a bit. But, but these are two really, really important injuries. The, the Price one, it, it looked bad because you saw the way he threw his head back when the stick went in between his legs there. At first, I thought Archibald hit him. But then on the replay, it looked like he, it looked like his skate got caught and he threw his head back. And then maybe two minutes later in the period, I was watching on RDS and even Nagdani on the call, he was saying, listen, the way Price is moving right now, he's hurt. So I, knowing the team, they're not going to tell us what it is. They're not going to give us details. All, all we know is that he's staying behind for the Toronto trip to get worked on. We can assume it's lower body. Um, and But from the way he was moving, it, it looked like something was wrong. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you know me, Patrick, I'm a, I'm a stats guy, advanced stats guy, but I'm also kind of like a, it's in the, hands of the hockey gods kind of guy and you know Bergevin is looking good with all the moves he's done and I just think that they've got a bit of a cushion in the playoffs here they've got a lot of depth including in goal and sometimes these things as crazy as it sounds if Price can you know quote unquote rest for a couple weeks that could be a good thing right as long as they can hold on to the wins yeah it, and, it's, really and it's not a severe uh, injury as well. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and we're, we're, as Matt said as well, we're not going to know anything about this because the team is going to be uh, sealed tight in regards to the injury. We do, however, know that Gallagher is out with a broken tongue for about four to six weeks uh, normally. Uh, it's, it is always Gallagher in front of the net this time. We should probably be glad that it wasn't Shea Weber, <laughs> but, but it was Alexander Romanov uh, that, that hit him with a, with a blast. Um, can you put some, some kind of um, steel inside the glove? I know um, Holmstrom used to play with three cups, I think it was, and, and special designed uh, pads for, for the back of his legs in the playoffs. Maybe, maybe Gallagher needs to figure out something like that as well. Yeah, such, such a dangerous position where he, where he plays, right? And you see every time the puck is shot, you see the defenseman, that's the exact moment where they cross-check or push, right? I mean... <laughs> I can only imagine being in front of the net and someone's 200-pound defenseman is cross-checking you in the back just as the shot's coming. I, I'm just not sure that, you know, you can change your equipment enough to, you know, fully mitigate the risk of those kinds of injuries. Yeah, especially yes. with the hands. Yeah, yeah especially exactly. standing in front of the net like that too, right? I mean, unless you want to wear some cement gloves and completely ruin your ability to stick handle your – you get hit in the thumb, it's, it's, it's probably going to break, especially when it's an NHL or shooting it. Indeed it was. And, and um, looking at the stat line from last night, I know it was a short uh, stat line for, for Romanov and Mete versus um, McDavid, but they control play um, for against arguably the best player in the NHL right now. For, yeah, I wasn't mean, it was 80, 82% or 83% of the time? I saw, 
I thought it was 88% when he was on the ice against McDavid, which is just wild for a rookie that's playing his first season in the NHL. I mean, that's, that speaks to the fact that he didn't come up through the junior ranks. Like he, he was playing against men in Russia for the last couple of years. And you see it, you know, he gets out there against the best player in the world. Most people would say, and I mean, McDavid couldn't do anything when he was on the ice. I think it was a pretty small sample, but 88% of shot attempts in the Habs favor during that matchup. That's, that's a feather in his cap in the, in a rookie season. He looked fantastic last night. Yeah. I have the five on five line here. I think something like one goal four zero against 90 X uh, expected goals for, and they just had a 0.1 expected goal against, which is obviously <laughs> the more, more important piece there. Six high danger chances for and zero against. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. Is this a pairing for the future? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I mean uh, Mike Johnson, I was watching the TSN, and Mike Johnson was, you know, he's bang on every time. But he was just commenting on how well they were keeping that gap super, super tight, right? And that's what I've noticed with Romanov and, and Mete. Obviously, Romanov is a really good student because one of my comments earlier on in the season was I thought he was overplaying uh, his opponent quite a bit, you know, like, being not necessarily hitting, but just being aggressive, closing the gap. And that's when he was losing some plays on players. Now I just, I don't see that. I just see him really quieting his game down and, uh, you know, making really strong, simple plays, keeping that gap nice and tight. He's obviously been groomed for, for in some ways, groomed for NHL because of his pedigree and his uh, Soviet hockey. His grandfather is coaching KHL at three cups. He's won the Olympic gold. He's won the Canada Cup. I mean, as a defender, it is in his blood. He, he's getting that treatment as well. Um, even if it was tough for him in, in Seska. And you have to remember that Seska is really the best team in Europe with international players on every position. So, so even getting 12 minutes a game for Romanov in that under those circumstances is really, really good. And you can see what how much that has benefited him here. As you mentioned, he might have been very, how should I say this? He, he was probably keen to really show himself for, for the North American crowd and, and, and the Montreal fans. So I can understand he went into the games with a little bit more of a, more adrenaline than, than, than a regular thought process. He, he has settled down and in, in one way, this is the start of a defensive wonder that is coming through the ranks with uh, Jordan Harris, Josh Brooks, Matthias Norlander, uh, Kenny Gooley. Um, who am I missing? Jordan Harris, have I said him? I mean, like, there, there are tons of prospects coming up. There's not going to be roster spots for everything. But, but they are the young ones, and we see some of the older ones are struggling. Um, is it better maybe to protect Mete? In, against the, in the Seattle draft than, than and opening up someone else? I, I think you have to protect Mete, honestly. I mean, I think he's kind of been the odd man out this season, but you saw it in the three-on-three overtime when they let him get out there. You saw what his speed can do, right? And the game's getting faster every year. Uh, a player like him, I think you got to hold on to him because as the game continues to get faster, you're going to continue to need that. And this team has been brutal at three-on-three overtime. But in that shift that he had out there, you know, he was, he looked dominant. You could tell that his speed was a massive 
uh, edge for them. And he's still very young, right? So I think they've yet to see what his actual potential is. And for that reason, I would protect him and maybe expose somebody else, unless that person is Jeff Petrie. Well, we, we know for sure it's not going to be Jeff Petrie, but, but <laughs> maybe some of the other um, contracts that are looking a little bit worse for wear uh, might be exposed in, in a better way. And hopefully you, you, you can entice Seattle to grab any of those with, with the right incentive. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are a lot of people on Twitter and, uh, you know, analysts or side analysts that they love Mete, they love what he brings. Um, and they, he, people still see him as a little bit of a project. Uh, and I would agree with that, but I'm not sure that the Habs organization evaluates their D men the way we do. Right. It, I mean, they've kind of shown it um, in the past couple of years that they don't because Mete sits and he's, you know, even Kulak, uh, doesn't really get the plump minutes that he probably should have. And now we're seeing it, seeing how long it took him to get the trust of, of the coaches to, to be in a, in a, you know, in that second pairing slot, he had to do a lot. I mean, he played well last year, he played well this year. <laughs> so I just don't, I think they evaluate their D quite a bit differently. And I think they absolutely love the two big giant D men, whether they're together or are one on each of the first two pairs. So as long as they can protect one of uh, Edmonton and Sherratt, and suppose they're keeping Weber, correct? I think then they got They definitely have to keep Matt Day. I would be surprised if they kept all three of those big guys. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have to wonder. And, and I mean, in one way, you can also argue that the contract situation is the way it is. And, and Seattle might not want to take these contracts either. Uh, because some of them are quite of an albatross. But, but there are other news in the Montreal world today in many ways, and, and it's something we've been waiting for, Matt. It's, it's Kyle Caulfield just joined the, the uh, rocket for his first practice. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I can, mean... Can you elaborate from that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Exciting we all... times. We've all been waiting for that guy since we drafted him. And um, that stems a lot from his time with the U S development program. We saw him, you know, filling the net for them. And I think it, it the hype only got bigger um, with what he did in Wisconsin this year. You know, he was almost a goal per game rate. Um, I mean, that, that is NCAA. You can't necessarily obviously expect him to come over and score a goal per game in the NHL or even the AHL, but th there's a lot of hype around him because of what he brings, which is obviously his shot. Um, his shot is, in my estimation, from everything I've seen, he's elite already as far as shooting is concerned. There's other areas of his games that he needs to work on, and I think he's going to get a chance to do that in the AHL real quick, and I think he'll be up with the Habs before we know it. But that shot is already elite. You insert that into the power play, it's an immediate weapon that they can utilize. I think uh, I mean, Nick Ducham is going to have fun figuring out creative ways to get him the puck and get him to unleash that. But as long as he is able to find space to let that go. He's going to have some success and they can work on the other aspects that he needs to work on. Um, but yeah, there's everybody's excited for him and with good reason too. Jason. Yeah. I'm not good with the scouting at that level and understanding whether they can really make the jump or not. But um, I mean, what he brings to the table and the fact that he'd be like a top scoring kind of winger use 
in the lineup, I think that there's a high probability that they're going to bring him up. I think they've made the lineup such that there are not very many passengers in the sense of trying to isolate ice time. You know, they had, they used to have Belchenyak, they had Domi. Uh, to some degree, these guys are getting isolated minutes. And I think they've kind of really moved away from that with having Stahl and all these other, you know, vet players in the lineup. So I think they could carry someone like him who is who they want in the power play, but might isolate during five on five. I think there's room for that to happen. When was the last time that Montreal really had a sniper of the caliber that we were expecting Cole Caulfield to be? That's hard to say. Um, I think, I, I, I would say probably Pacioretty. Pacioretty obviously was a different type of player, but the, the, the pure shot power that he had in his wrist shot and his snapshot, the velocity that he was able to get on it, the release that he had, I think Caulfield is closer to that. Um, th- that's really the only player I can think of in recent memory that really shot the puck like that in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. Um, the, the question with Caulfield is, is he going to find the time and space to let it go the way that he has at other levels? Now, if they put him in the right position and they can make that space for him, and he's very good at making space on his own as well, but if they can make that space for him, they can put him in the right positions, he's going to let it go. And everything I've seen so far tells me he can beat NHL goaltenders similar to the way Max Pacioretty used to do. So, I mean, obviously big expectations, but um, I think he's shown enough at this point that that's why they are there. That's why we have those expectations because of what we've seen from him so far. It was his first practice today. It seems like he will be doing his rocket debut away to Toronto uh, this later this week. Um, Every, of course, everything, all eyes will be on Cole Caulfield, but the Rocket has really improved this year. And, and there are a lot of players um, that, that are coming through. And we saw Premier is, is being uh, brought up to the taxi squad uh, in order for him to, to uh, be there for, if depending on how bad of a situation we have in Carey Price, there are obviously other players coming and paling. Uh, Illidan was really, really good before he got injured. But but it's also Joel Bouchard, and we saw how he uh, had fun with Cole Caulfield. It seems like there's a lot more fun in the group or, or in both groups, Habs and the Rocket, uh, this year compared to other years. Yeah, full credit to Joel Bouchard. I mean, in the past, uh, you know, they haven't always had the, the best person for the job necessarily at the AHL level. That's been known, but when they brought him in, I mean, he's very player focused. You saw what he did with Jake Evans. Jake Evans goes from being a seventh round draft pick going through the NCAA. And now he's, you know, a, a legitimate bottom six player in the NHL. Unfortunately drew out uh, last night, but with the injuries, he may get a chance to get back in pretty soon. You you have to give, you know, 100% credit for, you, you can tell that they're having fun. Uh, you can tell that they they want to win and they want to win for their coach. And that's all, in, in my estimation, that's 100% credit to Joel Bouchard. They also signed Jan Nishak to, to an uh, NHL contract this year uh, or the, today. Um, the Czech center winger, we don't really know where he projects down the line. He is a work athlete. Uh, he, he really builds up himself. He also speaks with Tomas uh, Pekanic in order how to develop properly and, and be ready for the NHL. We have, de- de- we have spoken a lot about it in the chat today, and it seems like he won't be able to join the AHL next year. 
because of, of his uh, CHL and OHL obligations, depending on where he was drafted out from. If he would have been in the Czech League uh, or had his Czech club as a uh, parent club when, when he was drafted, he could have gone to the AHL. It, it, he spends a year now with the AHL team and it will benefit him long term, but it creates also a little bit of a situation down the line. Uh, but going back to, to the A team, really, Jason, when you look at the pairings now, there is everyone is looking at, at, at that guy, the captain, Shea Weber. Is he really pulling his weight? Or, or what does the numbers say? I mean, the numbers wash out pretty decently. And I think some of the things that we are seeing, some of these breakdowns that um, little, seem a little bit odd, actually. Like there was the power play two games ago where he kind of just uh, lost his man completely, not even close. Um, and he, even some of the TSN analysts are starting to, you know, be a little bit critical of him, which is almost taboo, right? Um, but the numbers are washed out well because he takes the hardest. He takes the hardest of the hardest minutes, and so did Sherratt when uh, he was in the lineup, and Edmondson does now. And and so if you're really looking at the baked advanced analytics, um, they really get boosted for the fact that they're spending really hard minutes against the top line. So and the PK, he starts every PK with the draw on his own end. Um, so I, I give him a bit of a pass, but you can definitely tell that some, you know, he plays the best when he's rested. And I, I think it's obvious that they're, it's a bit, he's getting to that age now where they got to, they have to do the, what they did with Chara and almost put him in a secondary defensive only role kind of thing. So, but they, succession planning has got to be there, right? <laughs> it's going to happen pretty quickly, I think. Indeed, but but it's also like, can you do? Does he really have to be on the power play? I know you and I always speak about the box play and, and the power play, uh, but really, should he be on the power play? Um, it seems like his shot is is still very very hard, and but the precision is not really there, right? And that would mean yeah, it be a, a easy way for him to get those extra minutes on the bench where he can rest up for the tougher assignments. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would almost opposite. I would say maybe take him off the penalty kill. Um, yeah, those are very difficult, hard minutes. And, you know, I'm, the, the numbers don't wash out excellent there for him, although <laughs> it doesn't wash out very, very good for anybody on the penalty kill. Um, I kind of like where they've definitely shifted, where Petrie's more of the go-to guy, both five on five and on the power play. Um, so he is still a weapon, right? So I don't mind that they work with him now on it. I do like that they shifted him kind of to a secondary role for sure. If I was a coach, I would, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and, and say it. I would take him right off for a while just to see how the unit reacts. I just don't like how Druin's numbers are way, way down. He seems to be pinned quite a bit with uh, Weber. And I'd like to see him not have to defer these players not have to defer to Weber and see if they can do some, some other creative stuff to come out of it. It's, it's tough. It's particularly tough taking a shot like Weber's off the power play, but it's at this point, it's, I would take them off both the kill and the power play, at least temporarily. And like Jason said, you know, see if some other players without having to defer to Weber, if they can make some things happen. Cause you see anytime they line him up for that shot right now, he's, he's missing the net a lot. And why is that? I mean, it's either, it's, it's one of two reasons. It's either because people are getting in the lane, so he's trying to shoot around them, or it's because he's just lost his ability to aim. Now, I don't think it's the second one. I think he's 
he's looking for the blockers because he knows that they're coming one or two, or maybe even three guys might get in towards where his shooting lane would be. And he's got nowhere to go with it. And on top of that, he doesn't have the mobility to get himself into a better position. So he's no. basically one dimensional. He's got to sit there, wait for the puck and then clap it and hope it goes in. And I was going to uh, say the, the mobility is really what, what takes his aim off the puck. It's, it's, it seems like he's getting too close or too far away. It's not, he doesn't hit the sweet spot very often anymore. Um, yeah. Looking at another change that came through the, the practice today, and it's the fact that the Desharmer has, has moved KK to the wing. We know he spent the first year in Liga playing under his dad. It was a real, it, it, it was his draft year, and he, he did have success. But he spent that most of the time on on the wing. Um, what what is the benefits right now to have KK on the wing? I just like that he's going to get plump minutes. He's going to get maybe more minutes. He's going to, he's playing with uh, with uh, line mates that are so good five on five that the expectation is going to be there for him to to at least contribute on that line. And we might see a bit more production five on five from him. There's something there. Uh, I think they everybody loves KK fans and uh, coaches, but there is something there that they're again they they don't 100 trust him. In, the, in a defensive role against probably the top competition, right? So this is why you don't you don't see him center on the number one and number two lines. Even though people love his defense and he looks good, the numbers still don't wash out fantastic um, on the defensive side. But I will say this year, I looked it up just before this podcast, versus elite competition, this is puckiq.com, He has been on the ice five on five for five goals for and zero against. And, you know, all the other metrics that, you know, the Corsi and all that kind of stuff, they're all above 50, which is good. So he really is from this, this year's standpoint done well against elite competition. So, but there is something that I still think the coaches don't 100% trust his play at center there. So does this mean they're going to shift them? I'm not saying at all that they're thinking he turned into Galchenyuk. I just think we're late in the season. This is the best way to get him the most ice time. He is definitely one of the centers of the future. And just because he's playing wing for a dozen games, potentially, that doesn't mean he won't be the center. Those numbers are eye-opening. And, I mean, for me, I get flashbacks from Galchenyuk whenever you talk about moving him to the wing. So it, it concerns me. But at the same time, you have a point there, right? They have depth right now. So if they move him to the wing temporarily, I don't think that's a problem. I think I've, I've liked his game more and more as the season goes on he seems to be pretty tenacious on the forecheck on the back check uh he seems like I've, i've said it ad nauseum at this point he seems like one of the most frustrating players to play against because he can pick your pocket and he uses his frame really well to protect the puck so he, he makes it difficult to get the puck back from him so he takes it from you and then you have a real hard time getting it back from him and uh you know i i like that i think it's i, I think he can still do that from the wing So I think if their depth allows them to move him to the wing for a little bit and they can find the right combination to, to utilize the skills that he has, I don't think it's going to be a problem. But I'd, I'd like to ideally like to see him stay at center, to be honest. He has a great shot. That might be a big opportunity for him to unleash when, when he comes off the wing. Uh, good you point. Also have, you also have the fact that uh, he will be a very good use uh, as a secondary face-off taker uh, if there is a change of, of that. And also, he gets to play with a very, very good center that he can learn from on the ice and, and see and adjust his own game to that. I personally think that the, the 
the most impressive thing for me with KK this year has been that he's lowered his center of gravity. He's looked more secure on the ice. He, his balance is much better. And I, and I think that has helped his overall game. Yeah, I agree. He seems, especially when you said the center of gravity, it seems like he's, uh, his stride, like we were commenting in the chat last night and I think it was Justin said that his stride and Eric Stahl's stride look very similar. Right. Now, Eric Stahl is a known quantity in the NHL. He's a very strong guy. And the way that he skates is, you know, he, he gets down there and he's definitely very tough to move off the puck. And that's what I was talking about with Kakanyami is that, you know, when he takes it from you and he gets a hold of that puck, he makes it very difficult for you to take it back. And I think that has to do with the way that he's skating, the way he's getting lower to the ice. And um, I suspect that he may have added a couple of pounds of muscle in the offseason because he looks a lot stronger. I agree. And I, like having, this is another benefit of having stall on the team. He gets to look at a, at a player that has the same kind of lanky style uh, framework and he can really learn from him. Cause he, he just, I don't think Kakanyemi would play the style of Dano or a lot of these other centers. So I think this is fantastic. And I, I really did like stall's game last night. Very simple. Um, Matt, you, you mentioned about, um, you know, the Oilers trying to get out of their end. And his very, I think it was the second shift I tweeted it out as well. I just noticed how I really liked how Stahl, he, he basically derailed the, the outlet to uh, Dreisaitl. Um, and he, but not only did he do that, he put his body in front of him and just completely took him out of the play. And that's what a big body does. And that's if it's, if they play properly. And these are the kind of things I think Kakiemi can, uh, can learn from Stahl. You've been listening to Habsent Minded. We have Matt Drake uh, as a guest. He's a writer, a regular writer for Eyes on the Price. You can find him on DrakeMT on Twitter. And we have the returning guest and, and one that is always happy to, to share his thought and explain the stats in a better way than I ever can dream about. Jason Paul at Wavenchel uh, on Twitter. Uh, both of them are up for a healthy discussion and, and uh, some good laughs. I know that. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, everyone else, thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and i'm rebecca we're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say didn't see that coming and we hate the people responsible for them listen to people are the worst now on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts